Well, we've been going through the book of Acts. We've only gotten through the first uh, nine chapters so far. What's that been, two years for nine chapters, something? I don't know. The book of Acts is really a, a story of how God worked supernaturally through the church when it first started. We read of some of the successes. We read of some of the failures. And we read of how the church just continued to move forward in spite of some of the failures that took place. I mean, we, we read of conflicts between church leaders. Uh, we read of instances where the church had to apply church discipline to individuals. Uh, we read of Christians being jailed, Christians being killed. And yet, we read of people coming to Christ and God moving in miraculous ways in the middle of all that. From Acts 1 to the end of the book, approximately 33 years have transpired. Now, as a history book, Acts isn't so much about a you know, nostalgic look back as it is a record of the early church to inspire us to move forward. God did that then. God wants to move now. In fact, I love one of the last verses of the book of Acts is this. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. It's as if Luke is saying, hey, we are grateful for what God has done. He's making salvation known to the Gentiles, but there's a lot more work to be done. There's plenty of people who will listen to the gospel. Go find them. Tell them. So the history is important, but the future is calling. As I reflect back upon Christ Community Church, I think it teaches us that God continues to do his work despite our failings, despite our weaknesses, despite our shortcomings. We see that God has had his hand upon us, and yet there's a rewarding future ahead. And like the span of the book of Acts, Christ Community Church is 33 years old. And I could tell you stories of God's hand upon our church. I could also tell you stories of conflicts, conflicts among church leaders uh, where church discipline had to be applied, and yet God moved to sustain us. And we've seen Many people come to Christ through those 33 years, and for which I'm obviously very grateful. That history is important. The history is important because I think it teaches us, you know, great lessons about, you know, God still moving in our life. It's important because I think we have to realize here today, I often tell the people in our discovery group, you know, what you see here today at Christ Community Church is nothing of what it was like the first decade or so. I mean, what, you, what we're enjoying today has been worked out through blood, sweat, and tears. Amen for some of you that have been here a long time. You know that that's the way that it has been. But the future is calling. Kind of like a rally flag to rally the troops. You know, we have a vision, a mission to accomplish. We'll talk more about that in a second. But what I want to try to do today is to encourage you of the progress that God has done in us just like he did in the book of Acts. And what I want to let you know is that all of these mission endeavors, as Stacy got up and talked about Convoy of Hope, and we, we, we talk about 
you know, going to Guatemala. We talk about working with race relations here in town. We talk about our involvement with Weaver and, um, and Fairbanks and trying to alleviate poverty for the least of these. These were endeavors that we were not involved in in the early days. And I suppose a lot of that is because there were kind of in-house battles that had to be fought. I mean, I remember a day, it was about 28 years ago, that we lost nearly half the congregation in one Sunday because I said homeschooling would not be the rallying point of our church. That's the truth. Uh, There were days that well-meaning, God-fearing God-loving people who were an important part of our history left because they did not like our direction. They did not like our direction. I say these things because we have been fraught with frailty, weaknesses. I'm just talking about me right now, right? (laughs) Weakness, frailty. And yet God chose to bless us. I mean, honestly, it seemed like in the first decade or so, survival was the only thing on our mind, at least on my mind. I mean, I'm sure that other people might view it differently and and have a history different than how I'm presenting it. But I think it's at least safe to say that our perspective was limited. It certainly wasn't what we're enjoying now. Pretty limited. Uh, perhaps I could say, you know, we had some, uh, some people that, that pulled us out of the malaise, or we had this strategic, long-range plan that led us to where we are today, but that really wouldn't be the truth. The honest answer is that God has sustained us. That's not faux humility. That is reality. God, in his goodwill, chose us to be healthier, to go in a more effective du- direction even in the midst of a messy church. I mean, isn't that also true in our own lives? If you were to reflect upon your own life, I could share with you story after story of how Janet and I have messed up and God has continued to use us. I remember, uh, it was, I don't know, two or three years ago, I had all four of my kids on the stage and I said, and I didn't prep them, I just said, tell me what it was like, some of you might remember this, what it was like to grow up with me as your dad. They gave honest answers, and with me being a pastor. And I wanted, to, I wanted to say that to you because there were issues, there were problems, but we made it, right? That, that, that life went on despite the mistakes and the challenges and the issues that we had to deal with. And when we come together, not as people who are all well-pressed, washed, you know, ready to go on Sunday, we come together as a vulnerable people. And we all yearn for God's blessing, God's touch on our lives. I mean, I don't have a romantic rags-to-riches story to give you about Christ Community Church. But what I can point is to a God who met us in the midst of the mess, just like he meets you and me in the midst of our own messes. I mean, we serve a God who used a man mightily like Moses. Did you forget that Moses committed murder? And yet God used him to lead hundreds of thousands of people 
amazing. We worship a God who used a woman like Rahab who was employed in the red light district of Jericho. (laughs) Now, I'm sure that there were consequences to the sin of all these people that I could mention. But the point is that God remained faithful that his plan was not deterred. And as I think of Christ's community church, that would be a theme, that, that God's plan continued to move on despite all the mistakes, in spite of all the issues. I mean, I, it would be Christian fiction to kind of clean up the stories, you know, like Rahab, and to make it G-rated for today's church. But the fact is, God is not deterred. I love some of these verses. I hope they encourage you like they encourage me. Genesis 50:20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about the many people should be kept alive as they are today. Or 2 Corinthians 4, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Or Habakkuk 2.3, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the day. It will not lie. If it remains slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Or Psalm 27, I believe that I shall Look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. I'm a pastor, and one of the things, of course, that a pastor has to do is read a bunch of books on vision and mission. I got to, just you and me talking, don't let this out. Okay? I get really tired of reading about mission and vision. I'm just being honest. Now, not that I'm against it. It's just that a lot of it seems contrived to me. I tire of vision and faith stories, you know, that are to prop up the the church growth mechanism. I hate that. I don't want to ever be fooled or get drunk on myself or somebody else's power or skill. I mean, we read Zechariah 4.6. It says, not by might... Not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. I mean, if we can look back and we can praise God for the history, then I think that has, that has a good purpose. And if we can look forward and, and we can express faith in God, then I think vision has value. If you ever wonder about where we're headed, what we want to try to accomplish Certainly our mission statement is, is a good place to start. I mean, we, we are equipping and empowering people in our God-given gifts to advance the kingdom of Christ. We, we equip by, by training, by creating environments where people are free to, to grow in community and, and discover their gifts. We try to empower people by reminding them that they have endless resources in Christ. We try to delegate responsibility to every believer to fulfill their ministries, to not wait for the professionals. Now listen, we run an organization here that allows room for failure. That that when people are involved, instead of having some paid staff person do it all, we have people do it because then they're they're leading, they're involved, and sometimes it might we might make mistakes and we're gonna fall flat, but that's okay, that's how we learn. 
I want to be in an environment where we're free to try new things and every believer can fulfill their ministry. Each person is endowed here with a, a, a gift. A, they, they have a place to where they can get involved. And, and if not in this, within this building, somewhere in the community. We advance the kingdom of God by living gospel-centered lives. We sacrifice time, treasure, and talent for the sake of the kingdom of God. You might feel like you don't have much to offer. Remember this verse. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon you. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So God uses our mess, God uses our weaknesses, and if we're available, he uses that to advance the kingdom. Certainly this includes people being transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. It also includes us growing to learn the mandates of Christ, learn to live under his lordship. I mean, 103 times the kingdom is mentioned in the parables. The kingdom was a primary message of Jesus when he walked this earth because it spoke of God's rule over his people. So we talk about a kingdom, we're talking about a king who rules over his people and by our submission to the king, we are expressing that kingdom. And so, you know, discipleship, mentoring, submission to God, these are critical areas. We don't have one area over here I just do on my own and then I'll I'll give this area to God It's all his. He's Lord of all. He's Lord of my money. He's Lord of my my family. He's Lord of my job. He's Lord of my involvement in this community. He's Lord of every area. And so I read the scripture. I'm trying to figure out the will of God and how that works out in all of those areas because I want to please my king. That's what it means about living in the kingdom, God ruling on the earth. In Acts 19.8, we read of the minister of the apostle Paul, and it says he entered the synagogue for three months, spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Three straight months about the kingdom of God. You can certainly endure one sermon right here, all right? Listen, the kingdom of God is our only hope. You know, we talk about race relations, we talk about I'm trying to alleviate poverty and loving the least of these. We come understanding kingdom principles. We come understanding that God wants to be Lord of, of every area of our life. That's the hope. Equipping and empowering people in their God-given gifts to advance the kingdom of Christ. We, up on the screen, you'll see, you can't read it, but I just want to show you kind of what it looks like on your smartphone app. There are different areas. Of, it explains what equipping and empowering people are what in their God-given gifts or to advance the kingdom of Christ. What that means, how that's applied, I want you to check that out. It's on the smartphone app, and it just kind of breaks down how that mission can be utilized. But here's a question I want, want us to think about. Now, as a pastor, I believe God holds me primarily responsible for what goes on here, so I have to ask myself this question. Do our endeavors at Christ Community Church show 
that we are concerned about the kingdom of God? Or are we building our own little empire here at Farm Road 115 and M Highway? What does it show? I mean, if you follow the money, does it show we're really concerned about the kingdom of God? Are we building our own little empire here? In 1920, the average Protestant church gave 10% to missions. That meant that the rest of the money was used for internal operations. And I suppose, I've always heard it growing up, church ought to tithe for missions, 10% to missions. Fine goal, I guess. Apparently not everybody's listening. The most recent survey I read of evangelical churches, this is what they give to missions, 2.6%. That's the average, 2.6%. The rest, internal operations. Now, I believe that when you look at uh, giving, and for individuals or a church, percentages are really the best way to, to look at this kind of thing. For instance, which person do you think is being more generous? One person who gives, let's say, $5,000 a year, and they make $35,000 annually. Compare that with somebody who gives $10,000 a year, and they make $200,000 annually. I mean, the person who's giving $5,000 is giving 14.5, almost 15%. The person who makes $200,000 is giving 5%. I would say the generous person is the one who's giving Less money, but more percentage, three times what the richer person is giving, wouldn't you? I mean, one person's giving out of excess, the other is actually giving sacrificially. We demonstrate our trust to God by giving sacrificially and investing in the kingdom of God. We're not to use our money primarily to consume but to find ways to invest into eternity. Listen, I'm not here to give you a guilt trip. I'm not here to pound you. The Bible talks about these things, so we got to talk about it, right? And this is an area that when we're talking about sacrificing, when we're talking about the kingdom of God, this is one area. Now, there are other areas. This is one. In Luke 12, 20 and 21, in that parable, where it talks about investing in eternity, not just primarily to consume, it says, at the end, but God said to him, you fool, every night your life will be demanded from you. Then you'll get what you have prepared for yourself. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Listen, we live in America, and it ain't easy. Because this, this is like everything is about consuming, right? And it seems like my whole life has been, I can relate to the struggle. All right, God, how... How am I to use my time, treasure, and talent for the kingdom versus basically anything else? The point is, am I willing to sacrifice? Am I willing to step out of my comfort? I mean, it's God's pleasure I'm after. It's his reward that I'm after. It's okay to enjoy things. I get that. It's good. But it's coming through our hands, so we're responsible. This is not about, you know, trying to produce some false guilt. I want us to have joy in this. And I can't think of anything more joyful than knowing I am involved in a transcendent cause of expanding the kingdom of God with my time, with my treasure, and with my talent and gifts. 
So it's not about living under some legalistic code, some man-made standard. We just want to live under the lordship of Christ, be listening to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us, and we move in that, obeying his word, allowing the Spirit to direct us. So if that's true for individuals, then is it not also true for a church? I mean, if a church is asking people to sacrifice, then is the church sacrificing on how it handles money? Hmm? It's a fair question. I mean, shouldn't we also reflect generosity in how we are investing in the kingdom? Are we at least tithing to missions? I did some figuring. If you were to add up the monthly missions giving in our church, if you were to add our Bethlehem sponsorships in our church, or what we give each month to our Bethlehem Care Point, if you were to add up our Advent giving at the end of the year and throw in our short-term mission trips, all money being used outside of the internal operations, that is well over $100,000 and well over 25% of our annual giving. But money, money does not tell the whole story. I mean, our team going to Guatemala has been meeting the last month to talk about how we can operate on this trip. I mean, the fact is, you talk to missionaries that are on the field, and what they'll tell you is that often, short-term teams that come over actually can do more harm than good. It's sad. You know, because we're not, we're not importing American capitalism We're not there to tell them, this is how you run your affairs here. We're not there to tell them that our culture is superior. No. We come humbly. We come learning. We come asking questions because we truly want to be a help. Our goal at the care point in Guatemala is to serve. We go as emissaries of the gospel. I mean, how did Christ go about it? When he was an emissary on this earth, well, Philippians tells us how. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I mean, this applies not just to short-term trips. It applies for our lives. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Part of our mission is to advance the kingdom of Christ, and we do this by putting ourselves aside, by being willing to make sacrifices for God's work. We can't meet every need. We can't, you know, we can't give every dollar that's filtered through our fingers, but we can sacrifice. And I guess I would ask, if not for this, then what? What are you giving your life to? What is, what is your energy going toward? Why are you on this earth? Who are you trying to please? All those are valid questions, are they not? All the time that you spend, I have to ask these questions as well. We certainly have increased our giving to our missionaries, but there's also work in our own community. And as you know, and by the way, I tell you these stories, all right? 
I only tell you this because I want you to be encouraged by the progress. As you look back in history, and I look at where CCC was the first decade or so, and where it is now, I, I honestly, I just shake my head. I don't know how God has done it. I, I, couldn't, even, I couldn't even replay it. I mean, when I, when I have the city manager ask me in front of other city leaders, Kevin, tell us how your church has been a leader and involvement in this community. I almost have to laugh. I'm like, what? If you only knew, and I did tell them this, if you only knew that it wasn't always like this, and God has, God has positioned us to where we can have impact. It hasn't always been that way. I mean, I love that CCC has started, a, at least people from our church, has helped start a good news club at Weaver Elementary, one of the neediest schools in the city. I mean, we've invested in the lives of the kids here. We've given tens of thousands of dollars to the students there at Weaver. We are partnering with Life360 at Fairbanks, not trying to reinvent the wheel, but we come alongside an existing ministry that is doing a great job there, right alongside with Weaver. And many of our small groups have served there at Fairbanks, and you see what they're doing in, in, in feeding people and teaching them basic job skills. I mean, how do you go for a job interview? How do you hold a job? Basic skills that, that people just haven't received. They're coming alongside and teaching them this and teaching them trades and, and mentoring. As you also know, we've been involved with the Unity event each year where we bring black and white churches coming together. I mean, it's amazing that God has opened up these doors. And it's amazing that people have noticed we had... Uh, people from the David Wilkerson's ministry, uh, from World Challenge, came through town and asked me, tell us how you've, tell us how you've engaged with other pastors in, in dealing with poverty in this area, as if, you know, I knew what I was talking about. On Drury's campus in September, I'll be speaking about race relations. I mean, look around you. Why would I speak on race relations? I'm blinded by the whiteness this morning. <laughs> the only thing I can think of is that God has blessed the faithful, steady obedience of Christ's community and that he has continued to move despite our failings, our mistakes, our problems, our issues. Here's the testimony of Acts day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They receive their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. The faithfulness. It produced favor amongst the people. So we continue to move ahead. We can't rest on the laurels. We continue to sacrifice. We'll continue to strive to, to work hard to advance the kingdom. And this work is not for the faint of heart. I mean, there are going to be bumps in the road. We've had to make some tough decisions in the last couple of years related to finances, related to staffing, related to organizationally. There's been a shakeup of things, but I think it, it has positioned us in a much better position than what we were 
even two years ago. But what I want to tell you is even as an organization, just like you have to take inventory of your life and see if your life is positioned for the kingdom, as a church, we have to do the same thing. Have we positioned ourselves well? Are we healthy? I want you to be encouraged by the progress. And I commend you all for playing a part. I'm so thankful for those of you that have, that have already sacrificed. But my dear friends, we got a lot of work ahead. There's a lot more to be done. And we're going to be calling for more sacrifice, more time, more devotion to the kingdom of God. This is not the time to get comfortable. This is not the time to go and now sit on the bench. I love the words of the Apostle Paul when at the end of 2 Timothy, what he said, that my life is being poured out as a drink offering. What a vivid description. That's a way of saying, I have laid it all out on the line. I have no regrets. I can't sit here and, and tell you in detail what that's going to mean for you. I'm just encouraging you to go before the Lord and have your heart open and ask the Spirit of God to guide you. What, what would my sacrifice look like, Lord, for the kingdom? How could my life be poured out as a drink offering to you? Because I don't want to lay anything, leave anything on the table. I want to spend it all, all my time, treasure, and talent for eternity. I want it to make a difference. How can I sacrifice? Well, you know what? Let me throw this out. You know, love is a sacrifice. Love is a sacrifice when you forgive and you don't seek vengeance. That's a sacrifice. Obedience is a sacrifice when it's easier to ignore the Spirit of God and what He's saying to you, but instead you obey. Serving is a sacrifice when you, when you give up your time for others. Giving is a sacrifice when the percentage of your offering stretches you to express faith. Planning churches, planning new small groups, they're a sacrifice because we're using our relational equity not like it's something we own, but something we steward for the kingdom of God. We sacrifice. I suppose it would be a day that I would apologize for a message like this. I don't do that anymore. If I feel like God has put something on my heart, I feel like it's consistent with Scripture, then sacrificing for the kingdom of God, I once had a church leader tell me, don't, don't use that word, sacrifice. Offended. Why? I guess he had a lot to lose. Sacrifice for the kingdom of God. I can't look at it any other way. It's the most high God, Lord of Lords, and we're going to apologize to sacrifice? No, that's an honor. Now, I know that, that none of us will sacrifice equally. I mean, it's none of your business how the person next to you sacrifices. It's just between you and the Lord. But my question is, if your life is not sold out for the kingdom of God, then what is your present mission or goal? What are you living for? Some of us have skated through the church world. I get it. I do. Uh, this may sound like cynicism. I, I hope it doesn't come off that way. And I, I've actually 
grown in this area. I'd like to think I have, and I can have a more positive view. The church is the bride of Christ, but I can see how people can be really cynical about the state of the church. I mean, the church-wide. It seems like people get on agendas, and you get hurt, and there's stuff that goes on. Some of it isn't very attractive. Why am I here? To raise my kids? Put my stake in the ground? Create, create a, a pile of something so I can give to my family when I'm gone? Nothing wrong with any of that. But what I'm saying is, are you filtering that through the kingdom of God? See, you don't just raise kids so that they can make a lot of money or they can be successful. You raise kids to operate in the kingdom of God, to be effective in the kingdom of God, to love God with all their heart, soul, and mind, and to love others. You are a ready-made disciple maker as a parent. Are you viewing your parenting through that lens? You are not an independent agent as a Christian. You are a part of the kingdom of God, and you are called to be an ambassador for the kingdom of God. And the more that we sacrifice, the more that we can do, the more that we can advance for that kingdom. Apologize? Mm -mm. Maybe God would call you to give the ultimate sacrifice. And there are people who do it not for the kingdom, but for other reasons, and we admire that. When you view life through the prism of self, every sacrifice is a nuisance. When you view life through the prism of the Word of God, every sacrifice is a privilege. Let's pray.